0: Welcome to the Trust Your Coach Gut Podcast. I appreciate you tuning in and um, listening to this podcast. And uh, as, as it continues to grow, it's pretty cool to hear from people some some guys that um, some guys that played for me years ago, and some coaches that uh, that I coach with, and some coaches I coach for have reached out to me and seem to be enjoying it. So that's that's good. Um, everyone loves a little praise even gotten some constructive criticism, which I love too, because if you're going to love the praise, you got to love the criticism. And especially when it's something that, uh, that helps, you know, like um, Brian Kite says, you you take it, that criticism and you look at it and you see if it applies to you. And if it tracks with something, then you can make changes. And so uh, that's something I'm trying to do. I really, really love hearing from folks though. So, um, you know, as, as we keep moving down uh, and doing more podcasts, I look forward to more interactions with anyone who uh, who has something that they'd like to share with me. Now, for today's guest, uh, I had I, w- I really enjoyed my conversation with this person. This was uh, a conversation with with another professor here at Catholic University, actually an associate dean in our School of Engineering, um, and he is not. His background is mostly not in the academic side. He has several degrees, don't get me wrong, but um, he was a vice admiral in the U.S. Navy. Uh, His name is uh, Mel Williams, and he, as I said, is associate dean of uh, engineering here at uh, Catholic University, and he is a 1978 graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy, and he has a long and storied career in the Navy as a uh, high ranking officer, you know, a three star, uh, a vice admiral is a three star admiral. So that's that's pretty far up there. Now, one of the amazing things is that his father reached master chief in the Navy, which is the highest uh, enlisted rank. And so between the two of them, there's over, I think over 60 years of service in the United States Navy, which is unbelievable, unbelievable. And um, his, his dad is Mel Williams Sr. And so Mel Williams Sr. and Mel Williams Jr. um, took some of their leadership experience and wrote a book called Navigating the Seven Seas. And I read it and was just like knocked back because it was right up my alley. You know, like the reason I'm doing this podcast is trying to find common sense leadership. You know, what does common sense leadership look like? And, and, and how does it go into practice and that's what this book is there's discussions around uh, leadership topics and they have the seven C's are actually seven C's uh, you know from character all the way through community and so each one you know it's a uh, competence commitment uh, courage and um, forget the other ones are right because I don't have the book right in front of me but I mean it was just a, it was so great to just read two guys who lived it and talk about uh, what was important how they arrived at that, and then what did they do with it. So um, rather than me rambling on here anymore, we'll get to the good stuff, and we'll listen to my conversation with uh, Associate Dean, and even more important, I think, retired Vice Admiral Mel Williams, Jr., Welcome. um retired Vice Admiral Williams and who's also um, uh, associate Dean in the School of engineering at Catholic University and most recently named uh, special assistant to President Garvey especially in relating to the Theo Bowman work uh, from the Theo Bowman committee so uh thanks for joining me on the podcast today
1: Mike thanks for having me
0: yeah I um you know I I've had some great conversations with some people around campus, but I haven't had uh, anyone from the engineering area yet. And um, you know, the, I think the, the business school guys maybe spend a little more time thinking about leadership than, uh, or, or maybe than what people would think of the general public, but someone from the engineering school with your background, uh, it has like a, the the leadership street cred that's a little bit higher than some someone who might have just been stuck in academia for a long time. So I appreciate you talking with me. Um, and w- one of the things I'm talking about, I'll you know kind of run down for my listeners is that you and your father, um, your father who was um, was it Master Chief? He reached, okay. in maybe that's right. Yes. Yeah, so he was Master Chief, and then you were Vice Admiral, which is three star, I believe. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Wow. Which is amazing. So uh, a father and son duo like that. And you both together wrote the book called Navigating the Seven Seas. And it's a leadership book, uh, which which resonated with me because I'm very interested in common sense leadership. You know, I, I don't, I think we can get hung up on a lot of theories and what works in SNAP, but it's much better to, I think, to get into like what works, what is on the ground, how are people doing it? And the way you the way you did it with your dad was you broke it down into you know the seven C's obviously for for being Navy men makes sense so then it was uh, character, competence, courage, commitment, caring, uh, communicating, and community, and uh, you go through I mean the the great examples in the book of of how uh, those aspects those C's affect leadership was really cool for me and I think. Um, the the first one, character, was one that I find, especially in our in our climate today and our culture, is one that's really, maybe not as high as it should be across the board for leadership. So can you can you tell me how character sort of landed as the first C that you and your dad decided that was the one that you should start with?
1: Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, first, um, I just want to say that uh, I'm no expert in the area of leadership. Um, I'm a practitioner, I continue to learn each and every day Uh, and my dad and I decided to write the book simply because we received so many questions about how a couple of guys, uh, both introverts, not tall, you know, 5'9", how one could reach the highest you can go on the enlisted side in the Navy and one did okay on the officer side. (laughs) And, and so we received all these questions. And the thing about us is uh, we, we don't like talking about ourselves. So I said, let's just write it down and, and just here's the book and, you know, kind of leave us alone. And right. And so the, the problem is we, we wrote it and then the Navy put it on the list of required uh, reading, and it's been on that list for for over ten years. And so we had a number of speaking engagements as a result of it, and it just it just took off. So you know, it kind of backfired on us.
0: Right? Yeah, it was. It was- I, well, I, that's what did it to me. I, you know, as reading the book, I'm like, I've got to, I've got to ask this guy some questions. And uh, so, I hate to put you on the spot, but I, I, I know that um, I can see where you're coming. Like to me, the the humility uh, that is required in leadership, which is one of the uh, subjects in the book as well, um is you get the humility from the servant leader side, and um you can be an extrovert or an introvert, but you really. Uh, I tell our guys all the time, if you, if you're the biggest thing in your life, you got to get a bigger life because you're not really being a leader. And uh, I think that kind of dovetails with what you're saying and that, you you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but if you reach the the rank of vice admiral, you're probably going to have to talk about yourself a little bit. And then the the book was so awesome because like I said, it was so practical. The way I read it was like, yes, this is it. This isn't sort of like, um. It wasn't a to-do list. It was just these are things that we've found that work and are important. And so uh, that's why I really liked it. Um, especially and yeah, well, the character part was such a big part.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for that. And if you can kind of visualize um, a circle in the middle with character being in the middle, and then orbiting that circle are the other six Cs. And so that's kind of the the way to think about this and and to answer your question about character my dad and I um, thought about it. uh, And we came to the conclusion that uh, character is the most important element, because it's been our experience, and it continues today for both of us, my mom and dad are doing great. um, That essentially the the moral and ethical conduct of the leader, uh, the values and beliefs of that leader, uh, and the leader's genuine regard for people directly influences the ability of the organization to succeed or fail. And we saw that time and time again. And so we decided uh, for us, uh, as we endeavored to be the best leaders we could be is that we had to start with the person in the mirror and to, to really ensure that we demonstrated integrity, honesty, uh, dogged determination, yet with humility, as well as a positive attitude, because when you're a leader, uh, you receive a lot of bad news, right? So yes. if it's good news, why are you gonna tell the leader? Right. And so leaders, right. you know, you see someone coming or you get that phone call after midnight, uh, it's, right. probably not, it's probably not good news. No. And so the positive attitude aspect of character is important because uh, your ability to uh, acknowledge that something happened, uh, be an optimist, yet be a realist, uh, maintain a sense of humor when you can, make smiling contagious. Basically that helps people to understand that you're human and you're dealing with these circumstances yet you do it in a way where you remain positive. That's, that's an important aspect of, of the character. And you mentioned uh, servant uh, leadership. Uh, my passion is service to others through leadership. And so what does that mean? That means that when Ensign Williams entered the Navy way back when, perhaps unlike my contemporaries, I studied leadership. I read so many books. I continue to read books on leadership. Now, most folks try to master their craft right away. So for me as a nuclear engineer, looking at the technical manuals and, and all that sort of thing. My contemporaries did all that. But on top of that, I also learned more about leadership. I also listened intently to the wisdom of others, those who had experienced things to include when I worked uh, as a busboy, as a janitor, as a paperboy. boy, uh, these hardworking people uh, helped me to understand uh, some of the values that, that I have as part of my character. And by reading about leadership, by listening to those with wisdom, it helped shape uh, my character. But the elements that I talked about, uh, integrity, determination, having a positive attitude, being humble, and being a servant leader, it's, it's very, very important. And I guess as you consider uh, today, uh, it it still applies. You see it time and time again. And without getting into specifics, uh, there have been uh, examples throughout history where uh, the leader's moral compass is not in the right place, and there's prosperity for a time, Mm -hmm. but in very you know it's at some point it's going to affect the organization it's it's sort of like cancer and 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 so that's why my dad and i uh concluded that that the character is important and that we should continue to make sure that all those on our team understand that uh because that's where it starts
0: i i i think that's really important the the you made the cancer reference and I think of it similarly like it's a it's a contaminant like a, a, say a lack of integrity in a leader you know he might have oh he's really good in this area but you know what uh and, and in coaching you see it, the guy might not uh recruit above board he might take a shortcut in recruiting or something like that and sooner or later that will contaminate other parts of the leadership and then that'll bleed out into the staff and then into your team and then, you know, it'll be something like a, a guy will get a 15-yard a penalty because, he's, you know, didn't have the character to walk away from a, a little mouthiness on the field or something. And, the, and you'll be like, oh, well, that's that player's fault. Well, no, it, it really goes back all the way back to the leader who didn't have the full integrity, like his character wasn't where it needed to be. And uh, and so those, like those coaches might get ahead in the short term, but it's never long lasting. And I think that's just like one example. You're right in the the, the servant leadership and the, the, the determination, I think is um, so important, but there really is no substitute for the positive attitude. You know, nobody, nobody likes a drain. You know, there's a the guys that'll walk in the office and you're like, oh, I don't want to talk to this guy. It's going to be, today's going to be too hot, or there was too much traffic, or was this and that, you know, and, and uh, I had this recently with somebody, I won't mention any names. They came in the office and they were just really like, oh, it was just too much. I said, you know what? Uh, 12 months ago we weren't coming into work so why don't we be happy that we're actually in the office you know today um, but that that positive attitude can overcome and you're right it's it's realist you got to be real it's not the problem is there but if you if you know you've you got some good people and you can go to work on it there's a way through it you can grow from it um but you, if you're going to be negative about it then it's going to sink you
1: right and and i guess I'll give an example. Yeah. Um, So at one of my commands, uh, we really emphasized our core values. And so rather than executing what I call the the not list, not list being you will not do this, you will not do that, you will not do this. We emphasize what we should do, which are the core values. And we always cited examples of someone who was caught personifying the core values. And an example is I had a a young sailor who made a mistake of basically recording some readings in his logbook that were not the actual readings. Mm -hmm. Wanted to get through it quickly and just wrote some things in there and then had a cup of coffee. Well... That's a violation of core values, but uh, the sailor admitted his mistake. He went up to the chief petty officer, the non-commissioned officer explained what had happened. And I took the opportunity as the commanding officer with the crew assembled to uh, basically tell the story about a breach of integrity and, and how we shouldn't do that. Yet uh, the sailor had the honesty to come back and to say, I made a mistake. And and so I made it a point to really say that is what we're looking for. If you make a mistake, admit to that mistake, there are gonna be consequences, Mm -hmm. but be honest about it. And so that attitude uh, we, we did that all the time. And so guess what happened over the course of the three years in that command, our amount of crime went down the not list, the thing, you know, and it, be, it, 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 became, Hey, we don't do that here. It was self-checking, you know, peers with police peers and say, Hey, you, you had too many drinks. I'm not going to let you drive. Mm-hmm. And so the performance level of the organization improved significantly. The crime and punishment log went away, and essentially they they won the Super Bowl in performance. They became right. the best best unit in the military for the for the missionary that we had.
0: Right, I you know that peer to peer culture of accountability and and caring for that one and the should list like that. I think when you when you achieve that uh, that's sort of the like the flywheel effect it just takes off and it can Absolutely. keep going um it, it, when it's top down yes, you can sort of that's I think the top down is the not list often you know I don't right. want to see this I don't want you doing that it's doing this but when it's the peer to peer the should list uh, comes into play and I think that's when you got something because. I can, you know, I can put all the posters up in the locker room I want to say this is what we're about, but you know what? It's what the guys really do with each other that's gonna tell me, am I making any headway? Yeah. yeah. Right,
1: yeah. right. Uh, and so integrity, character, it can be uh, contagious, uh, just like uh, the, the cancer that we talked about. Right. And, and I prefer for the integrity
0: and the character oh, to, man, yeah. to prevail. Yeah, and I think that's the um, when when the the climate is one of, of of asking the right questions, you know, asking the how can I help questions instead of the what's in it for me questions. Like, if you get that climate of of how can I help, um, it's a lot more fun to go to work, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Yeah, I like being around those guys a lot more, you know. And and, and related to this, another um, another one of the Cs that I. I really enjoyed reading the chapter on was the, um, was the courage. And I'm gonna kind of um, just pull a little bit from there if you don't mind, just reading about it was, um, if I get right to it, I had it marked in the book, but it was, it was basically um, talking about the moral and mental strength to, to make decisions and how you have to build that. It's, it's almost like a, a muscle you have to exercise that maybe you don't, you're not, it's not inherently born in you. But um, how did you, or, or how do you see the moral of, like the moral strength and the mental strength of maybe when you were in the Navy versus what you're seeing today in, in, a, in the current climate? And, or, or maybe I'm just overreaching there, I don't know.
1: Well, I'll start with the notion that uh, the, the product from a leader is really decisions. The things coming off the assembly line of a leader are decisions. And, and like you, Coach, you, you make a lot of decisions each day, and we all do. Right. And so if you think about that, the fact that you know we're not out uh, producing widgets or, or other things, leaders actually make decisions, then one should have the courage to make the right decisions. And how do you maintain courage to make the right decisions? It goes back to the moral compass again, the character. And I guess, you know, when I think about it today and it's happened in the past, um, I would like to see more uh, of our leaders to. To make the right decisions based on uh, their values and beliefs and the values and beliefs of members of their team. And when you make decisions that defy logic, then there's some influence there that's causing that to happen. And so I, many times I reflect, how, who made that decision and how did we arrive at that? And usually, there's that influence is something that is not aligned with the moral compass. It's really about some sort of gain, you know, personal gain or Mm -hmm. organizational gain, which again might be good in the short term, but in the long run, which is what we're talking about strategic, you know, decisions, you have to err on the side of doing what is right. And I would like to see more of that. It's happening. We, we have a lot of it, mm-hmm. but, but I'd like to see more of it. Uh, and there's risk associated with it. Right. And consequences. Uh, you know, I, just a number, uh, one example, I was uh, driving a submarine on the surface with my team. We were cruising along and there was a, a fog bank uh, that was in front of us. And uh, it was during the day, and it, the fog bank was illuminated because the sun was still out. Mm. So it's like driving around in the fog with your high beams on. Right. And, you know, I'm a brand new skipper. I got this uh, submarine, this huge submarine that if you stood it up on end, it'd be taller than the Washington Monument. Oh, wow. And I'm trying to drive this thing in this fog bank. I can't see anything in radar. Because it's a narrow channel, you you don't want to rely on radar to get you through this fog bank. Right. So I made the decision to turn around. (laughs) And and so I started doing circles on the good side of the fog bank. But my boss and my boss's boss put pressure on me to come in. And in so many words, hey, you're you're junior, you're one of junior most uh, skippers. Come on, you know, man up. Come on through the fog, bay. uh sir. No, I don't I don't think it's the right thing to do. Uh, and I boy did I get in a lot of trouble for that. But guess what happened? The crew knew the right answer, the team knew the right answer. And as a brand new skipper, I'd only been with them for maybe a couple of months. They saw that I made a decision that I felt was the right decision, even though. It was at variance with what my bosses wanted to do, but I did not want to jeopardize safety by going through a fog bank and possibly running aground yeah. and causing damage to a $2 billion submarine. I didn't want to do it. So, you know, call me you know, a wimp or whatever you want to, but that's the decision I made. And the crew from then on, they, they really you know, sort of rallied around me and gave the, me the the trust uh, that's needed, as you know,
0: uh, in any uh, relationship uh, with a team. Right. Yeah. I mean, so this this was a ballistic missile sub. You were. Yes. Okay. So. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I'm a crewman on that sub and and my skipper says, yeah, let's just zip through that fog. We can't see. I'm not sure I'm going to be happy that he's got launch codes for the ballistic missiles. You know, yeah, like, this guy's a little bit, you know, I think of uh, of the Dr. Strangelove of the guy, read, uh, Colonel Ripper at the base, who's only <laughs> drinking uh, corn liquor and rainwater. You know, like that's not the that's not the guy in charge you want. Yeah. Um, so I, I, man, I can't imagine the pressure of, especially being like a new, a new command, and and there's somebody above you saying, "Would you just bring it in?" Because they're not out there looking at the fog, and they're, you know, yeah. they're somewhere else saying, "He's he's taking forever to bring the sub in." Yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't I don't envy in that one. But you're right. Like so the team, the team believes you. There's a there's a certain level of even when you get something you know and you're right the leader gets bad news so the leader gets something from above that they've got to take to the team it's always tough to uh, you know to their team it's always tough to say like how, how, you have to let the guys know that you understand this is tough without coming in and rolling your eyes and saying all right these idiots above us want us to do this like you can't do that either you kind of have to toe the line uh, how how did you do that with some of those uh orders or requests that you knew were probably not, they went over like lead balloons with the guys, but you couldn't just say, hey, this is stupid, but we're doing it anyway.
1: Well, an element of courage, which is the topic we're on yes. uh, in making decisions is accountability. And so I rarely use I, but when those decisions were made, I made the decision after listening to a diverse mix of people. And, and so I owned it. So I didn't say, Oh, my boss, you know, whatever. Right. No, no, it's, it's my, my decision. And and that's, you know, what we're going to do, team, we're, we're going to go and do circles. And <laughs> right. just wait, wait for this thing to go away, and then bring the, the boat in safely. But uh, accountability is so important. Uh, when when it comes to courage, and I I guess another experience I had was uh, after uh, I transitioned from the Navy, uh, I went to, uh, I was a presidential appointee at uh, the US Department of Energy for Mm -hmm. a couple of years. And I just remember sitting in the White House at some of these meetings, and there are a couple of folks who had, I know, military backgrounds. uh, And I just, kind of scratch my head that I sense that there, who's, you know, when you're talking about going in a certain direction or doing something, no one wanted to kind of put their name on it, right? (laughs) Right. So so from an accountability standpoint, you know, there's a reluctance to own up to whatever it was and just say, you know, well, maybe someone else will make that decision. And I don't want to be personally accountable for it because it might hurt my career politically. Right. And, and I, you know, I, I didn't see that much in, in the military. So that's a difference that I saw. And to some extent in higher education, um there, there is some of that only because of the many times the need for you know getting certain promotions etc right but for the most part uh, at Catholic University uh, most folks are accountable for for the decisions that they make but as I served at uh, two other universities as well uh, that wasn't all the always the case uh, but I'm adamant that uh, the accountability uh, is a bit, big aspect another part of courage I think is um, being uh, decisive. And what that means is you just have to call it when it's time to call it. Uh, I've always been a 70% person.
0: Mm,
1: Okay. Okay. So you give me 70% of the information that's available, we're we're gonna make the decision. And basically you iterate the other 30%. You learn, you you move your feet, you get going, Mm -hmm. you beat the competition, you're accepting risk and you iterate that other 30% and learn as you're you're going rather than waiting for 100% knowledge which uh, is hard to get right which really never comes <laughs> anyway <yeah. laughs> so you know being decisive is is a big part of it knowing when you have to make that decision but a corollary to this is knowing when not to make a decision mm-hmm Um, I used to um, I talked about the unlighted pipe so I've got a pipe and you know I used to chew on it and uh, and there was a reason for that it was basically uh, a buffer that prevented me from jumping in Mm -hmm. and with my experience relative to junior officers or enlisted I didn't want to always jump in and tell them what to do or how to do it or or make a decision for them. I wanted them to learn and make minor mistakes. And so I used to chew on this this pipe and they'd see, oh, man, the skipper's standing there and he's he's letting this junior officer make that mistake. Well, I'm so I have the teeth marks in this uh, (laughs) pipe uh, that I still have. But it was knowing when not to make a decision, to allow people to learn, to grow. And I would intervene if it was a safety issue or something like that. But just having the ability, the discipline to just allow others to learn and to eventually become a commanding officer or a senior non-commissioned officer by actually
0: making this decision themselves. Right. Yeah, it, I, that's actually a great strategy. I find myself, you know, as i I'd been a defensive coordinator for many years before I became a head coach. And now as a head coach, I, I struggled the first couple of years of even, you know, it'd be third and 15 and I'd know the blitz that I wanted to run. <laughs> and I would like want to flip over on the headset and tell them exactly what but I'm like, no, I can't do that because if I don't do that on the first and 10, when it's not crucial, I certainly can't jump in when I think it is crucial. And, uh, and man, that's that. Yeah. I used to have to uh, say a similar strategy. I would turn my headset off yeah. <laughs> Say something. They didn't hear me.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Oh man. That's yeah. And you know, the, the decision-making process, it, I think, um, I see a lot of people get hung up on emotional decisions, you know, and if you're making decisions and, and emotions are good because they can drive us and, and give us, uh, you know, energy, but, they're not so great when you're making big decisions. <laughs> you know, you, you need to um, work on that. And I think that's that mental strength of being able to separate, okay, I have strong feelings in this way, but what is the right thing to do? And um, I, I talk, especially with the young guys in the team, a lot about don't make decisions based on feelings all the time because feelings change. And you try and use facts as you can, you, as you can get them. So, like the 70% rule, I like that a lot because, you, yeah, you're never gonna have 100%. But if you don't get, if you don't get started, you'll never figure out the other part. Because you're right, once your feet start moving, you can say, okay, yeah, this is what needs to happen here, and now I can go here. But if you you're waiting there trying to get um, the perfect uh, forecast to do it, you're never gonna, you know, you're never gonna go anywhere. Uh, but our guys, well, they want to just jump in. Well, I, I think we should do this. I think we should do that. Well, let's look at the facts first.
1: Right. The, the other thing that, that I've also considered is uh, fundamental principles. And, mm-hmm. and it, it, it's, it's one of those where uh, before making a decision, um, is there something out there that is a guide for us You know, it could be in our nation, it could be the constitution of the United States. Mm -hmm. It could be, you know, core values of the organization. Uh, And before you make that decision, you want to make sure that you're aligned with those fundamental principles. Right. Because again, it's going to get you later on if you're again at variance with those fundamental principles. So that I start with that rather than, than emotion. I'm, based, I'm not a very emotional person. I can laugh and, and, and cry. Uh, but when it comes to uh, being in stressful situations, uh, being thoughtful uh, sometimes helps. but relying on, you know, what, what's out there? What haven't I thought about? What do you think? Uh, that helps us to get to the right answer. And having having a good mix of, of people also helps in that decision process. Sometimes I would I would go to meetings and everyone looked the same except me. <laughs> and they're making decisions that affect thousands if not millions of people who have different backgrounds. So what's wrong with that picture? It's better to have the people in the room, you know, be representative of the masses such that you can have that introvert raise her hand and say, have you thought about this? And the answer is no, that's a great idea. Right. And, and so that could sway you know, the whole thing. Um, so having a diverse mix of uh, men and women in the room is something that I've, I continue to, to try to do.
0: It's, yeah, I, uh, I think, um, well, that goes right into the, the one of the, the, the seventh C, I think, which was community. And the, the community, if you're going to represent the community, be part of the community, you've got to have the input from people. Cause I, I especially me, like I have um, a strong defensive background in football well, if I don't get an offensive perspective, we're never going to put the team together in a way where we collaborate correctly. And you're, you're right. Like if you're sitting at the table and you look around, and there's not, you know, and every, you know, everybody's got blonde hair and blue eyes, uh, you're probably going to need to uh, spread that out a little bit. Or maybe everybody went to a private uh, college, and we're getting ready to make a decision that might affect things from the public sphere, or, you know, you only have, I'll get kids in the locker room. And if we have a tremendous diversity, there's more strength in that. Um, If you have, if I only have kids from the Northeast who all went to Catholic high schools, I'm going to get a very specific and pigeonholed experience. And you're not going to be very strong. Um, Whereas if I can take a kid from California and pop them in there and you know, a guy from Ohio and Chicago and Texas, and you bring them all together, as long as they're aligned with our, like you said, the core values, and we're all pulling the same direction, all my arrows don't need to look the same as long as they're all aimed the same way.
1: Right, I, I agree with that. And and I, I guess um, a couple of things that I continue to, to do and I've done it in the past is and it's not proper English, it's getting the room right. Mm -hmm. Okay, So my folks knew that if there was a decision to be made, that's gonna involve the masses. And when I walk into the room and I'd look around and if it wasn't right, I'd say, well, I guess we're not ready for this meeting to occur. Uh, And you may wanna invite Barbara and, and Jorge and some, you know, some of the other folks to to get the room right. So that's a prerequisite, right? So get, get the room right. And the, the second thing was an expectation going into the room that you're going to have a speaking part. So there's, there's no place to hide. You know, that we're going to go around the room and you've got to describe your big one, whatever that big idea is. And so, you know, the discussion occurs, but you know, I'm gonna reserve about 10 or 15 minutes to go around the room and pass the imaginary microphone, Mm -hmm. where they get to say what their big one idea is. And so by having the right people in the room with an expectation that you have a speaking part, Boy, I tell you, that is the essence of diversity and inclusion.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah, because I think um, I know when I've been included in some higher, um, you know, occasionally I'll walk into the room and there'll be some cabinet level or some people like that. I'm like, "Ah, I think I'm just going to sit in the corner and be quiet. But when if someone does say, well, coach, what do you think? I know that whether what I said gets in, gets used or not used or whatever, I had a say or got to speak my mind on it. And so whatever the decision is, I'm willing to like walk out of there with it as gospel, let's go. And I think when you have that diversity, now you can get the bigger buy-in because people like, I mean, not only do I think you make better decisions because you get that input, but there's, you know, if you have a, a, a demographic represented in the decision process, you can really, say this was a grassroots sort of decision and it uh, usually gets swallowed a little better you don't need as much sugar with the medicine when when you have a, a, a buy-in like that so right yeah
1: when I when I think about community I, I also think about uh, mentoring and it doesn't always happen you know I've served in a lot of different organizations and sometimes people you know sort of have to you know, they're left alone and no one's helping them. Uh, If you really want to build a community, uh, you, you just, you know, your own way, it doesn't have to be formal, just figure out, you know, someone that you can couple with this other person, someone to talk to and and to mentor them and help them along. Hey, you know, this, and you see it all the time in football, right? Mm -hmm. If, if the superstar is not worried about, about his job in football, then they'll take the rookie, you know, wide receiver and just say, hey, you know, think about this, think about that. And and those informal relationships really matter and it helps to build that community. And, uh, and I guess another aspect, I guess, is uh, for me, throughout most of my career, uh, I was the only one that sort of looked like me uh, and, and so I, I just assimilated with everyone and took the opportunity to describe kind of my background and what I how I grew up. And and so what I saw was there was learning there. They they learned a little bit more about me, and I listened to them and I learned from them. But what what concerned me is the some folks want to. Uh, Flock with their own Mm -hmm. uh, type of bird. Yep. Instead of just getting out there and just better understanding each other as a community and moving forward. And so I'm a big fan of people with different backgrounds, what have you, learning more about each other uh, and then going out on the field and, and taking care of business with a trust factor established because you now better understand the person on your left and the person on your right. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's important.
0: Yeah, I think, um, and and obviously the sports is not perfect and the military certainly wasn't perfect, but I think both of those arenas have done a better job of uh, blending the, the, the demographics and having people work together. You know, I think the, the military Navy specifically, um, while not always, you know, there's a, there's a line in the book about, um, I believe it was when you retired that uh, the Admiral that was speaking said something about your dad saying that uh, you love the Navy even at a time when the Navy didn't love you as much, you know, and I think the, the changes though that have been put in place to get people to know each other. And, and, and you do have, I think you have to force it a little bit in the beginning because human nature is to sort of birds of a feather flock together. And that feels safe and good sometimes, but really it's not, as we talk in a lot, we were saying before decisions in the long-term, when you get to know people that are, aren't, that didn't grow up in the same place as you, or maybe don't look like you, or those other things, you're, once you realize that there's that they're human too. That's the same dignity. That's the same person you're going to be better. And football has been really good at that. I think, uh, one of the guys I talked to earlier in the podcast was Bill Curry, who has a great book called 10 men I met in the huddle. And I think the military is a little bit like that. But in football, it's a meritocracy, like in, in the locker room, you don't care if somebody's a Martian, if they can help you get that win on Saturday afternoon, you're, that's fine with you, you know? And, uh, and I, I imagine the military, if you're in a situation with that guy, if you know that guy next to you is going to do his job and what he needs to do so that you are in a better place because of that, you're not necessarily going to care if it's him, her, or where they're from, or maybe they didn't go to the same kind of school you went to. or um, And so I, 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 you know, it's a long way of saying I'm, I'm a big fan, obviously, of sports, but also of the military because I think they've stared it in the face and said, OK, we're not where we need to be. What are we doing about it? able you know, to diversify right.
1: right that so that was one of the themes uh, in in our book is the my dad served 27 years I did over 30 years about 60 consecutive years wow. it was watching the the needle move with respect to uh, you know embracing uh, diversity I- inclusion and the United States Navy did improve quite a bit uh, from the time my dad entered in 1951, and when I hung up my spurs in the year uh, 2010. There's still much to be done, but as an organization, as an institution, it really did improve significantly. Uh, and I continue this day to help help the Navy uh, in that particular area at their request. Uh, but it's a continual uh, challenge to, to make sure that we don't regress and that we provide uh, opportunity for, for all people uh, to realize their full potential.
0: So you're, <laughs> you're stuck kind of carrying that role on even further now as, uh, as President Garvey has uh, given you a, 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 the title of special assistant to the president to help with uh, some of the recommendations from the Thea Bowman uh, Committee, which, I, you know, I'm very proud that we're digging into it. I hate that we, as as we did sort of a, in, you know, an autopsy on where we were, that we hadn't been as intentional as we should be, especially as a Catholic institution, where you look around and say, man, we are not where we should be in, in a lot of areas in relation to um, the diversity we have on campus. Uh, how, like, I mean, are... I guess this is asking you to talk about yourself. So feel free to tell me to kick mud. <laughs> but how do you feel that you keep this role is something that you seem to uh, have thrust upon you regularly?
1: Well, as I explained to President Garvey, when he asked me and to others, um, when I was in the Navy, uh, I, I wasn't the black admiral. Um, I'm uh, someone who's trying to be the most effective leader possible, uh, working with and supporting all of my people and helping to execute the mission of the organization. Uh, and so the special assistant to the president is, is what I'm called because I, I want folks to know that I'm gonna be a servant leader where I'm actually going to add value, and I guess uh, an analogy would be, if uh, if you you know I'm not a coxswain yelling through the the horn, you know right. stroke. I you know there might be a little bit of that, but I also have an oar, and I'm I'm pulling, and right. so where senior leaders perhaps may have been. Uh, capacity limited to actually get some things done in this area. Um, I will work with them and to identify the things that I can do on their behalf. You know, if you need me to draft something I'll Hey, I'll draft something and then present it to you. And you you know, you can approve it and move forward, but it's actually a supportive role. Uh, as we, uh, try to implement these recommendations uh the committee it's been uh, an invaluable experience for me uh you know since august september of last year right. with talented yeah. leaders you know president garvey's at at all the meetings along with uh senior leaders and just listening to the, the different perspectives and coming up with these recommendations they're all still in draft but uh one of them relates to something that we talked talked about earlier is a, uh, a draft recommendation to create uh, sort of a this is who we are program where um, someone will volunteer and the participants volunteer none of this mandatory stuff it's you know let's say friday at noon every week and here's the volunteer and that person gets up and does a, a ted talk sort of for 20 minutes about their personal story, their background, their family, origin, whatever they want to share. Uh, and you just talk about in their role at Catholic University. So you just talk for 20 minutes. And then the next 25 minutes is Q&A with people in the room, uh, people who are on the Zoom session. And it's going to be recorded. So you can, if you didn't have time to, to chime in, you can look at it later. And the whole idea is to better understand one another. I I think fundamentally a lot of this in this area, you know, particularly with the Bowman committee, a a lot of it and in in our society today in the United States is just, we we don't have the time to know more about each other. And so we we have this perception and then that sticks rather than figuring out, wow, he or she is human just like me. (laughs) Yes. And so once you, once you hear someone's story and, you, and you're able to drill down a little bit and cue in questions and answers, you walk away with this 45 minute session going, well, what? I just never knew that about, about Sally. I, I just didn't know, I didn't have time. And so these little vignettes, this is who we are. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to learn more about each other, Apportion a little time once a week to do that if you're inclined. If you don't want to do it, fine. But uh, that's one of the draft recommendations, and we'll see how it goes.
0: I, I gosh, I think that's a great idea. So many, I think, so many of our obstacles as we work forward are are centered on um, uh, creating an identity of a or or naming an identity of a group and. I think you can, especially coming at it from a Catholic perspective, I think I can go, you can get off the rails so easily that way. Whereas the only way to stay on the right rails is to say, well, you know, what's your name? Who are you? Like you as the person, as soon as I start talking about a group, then generalizations are going to happen and you're going to miss the mark. And, and if I can talk about, you know, with one person and find out who they are, you're probably going to be have an accurate picture, especially if you get to ask them questions. So I'm, I'm excited about that. that sounds, that sounds like a great idea. So, yeah. Well, I, I want to be respectful of your time. This has been incredible. I could probably keep going for another hour or so asking you questions um, and going through the book, but uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to talking with me today. Is there, is there anything that we didn't get to that you want to, you know, say or talk about or, I mean, I'm sure there's probably plenty, but, you know, before we kind of wrap up, is there a subject you want to touch on or? Um, One that by choice, I
1: elected to go from the military to the federal government to higher education. Mm -hmm. Cultures are different in each three of those. Oh, yeah. Okay, I enjoy that because it's it's really a human endeavor and I, and I enjoy the ride. I enjoy, you know, visiting the, and learning more about the culture of each organization and listening to the stories of each individual. But the, the constant, despite different cultures, is that we are in fact human and we have values and beliefs. And if done correctly, you can align all that towards improved mission performance Mm -hmm. improved organizational performance and that continues to be a big part of my career and what i intend to continue to do at catholic university is to help organizations improve by doing some of the things that we talked about today
0: yeah i i when you talk about the different cultures i you know i've been a coach for a little bit a while you know a few years and you go from there's a slight culture change from institution. I've been at seven different universities. The uh, slight culture change in each one, but it's pretty much still the the sport of football. What you've done is like a quantum shift from military to you know the, the Department of Energy to to higher ed, um, and I get the sense from you that the leadership, while maybe small tweaks is still, nothing really changes. The character has to be the same. Uh, the courage, the commitment, the community, the competence all still has to come through if you're gonna be a leader.
1: Right, and, and you know this being a coach. Um, when you look at those different cultures for, for my, in my lifetime, my experience, um, it's really about the, the leader about the team members, and about the local or national or global environment around you. So those three variables. Mm -hmm. And so as a leader, you just sort of have to keep that in mind. You know, if you're the leader, realize the team around you is going to change. And typically in any given year, be it a different, the freshman class comes in or Or in the Navy, you know, 20% of the crew rotates out and someone else comes in or on a football team, someone gets hurt and you bring someone so that dynamic exists from for the team members. Um, And the the global, local and national environment is something that sometimes people don't regard that variable and because it it has a vote right Mm -hmm. so teaching in a COVID environment is different than pre-COVID. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Having an Olympics in Tokyo with empty stands is different. So as a leader, how do you prepare your team members in that environment? And so just having a regard for that that operational environment is so very, very important, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of folks don't think about that. But you know, I, I continue to do that. And the other thing, I guess, is a sort of a constant is uh, excellence as the standard of performance is, in my opinion, what uh, one should uh, pursue. Uh, and uh, having said that, continual improvement—you know, just trying to figure out ways to do it better. Uh, and I guess the the last thing is constancy of purpose, and and when you have those three things, I, I think many times from a, a leader standpoint, a follower standpoint, uh, you come up with the right answer. But again, I conclude by saying I'm not an expert, um, I'm still learning, yeah. uh, but
0: I'm enjoying the ride. Well, that that is awesome. I in. You sound like an expert to me because I, I think what you're saying has worked in practice. And I wanna say thank you to you for this talk. Thank you for your service uh, in the military and, and to our institution and, and, and at large. Um, I'm, I'm so excited that the, of the work you're doing and um, I'm very appreciative of the time we got to spend today. So thank you again. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you again, hopefully before too long.
1: Well, thanks a lot, Mike, and uh, hope to see you around campus. Yes, sir.
0: (laughs) All right. Take care. Take care. Well, thanks for, for listening to that. I, I tell you what, I he is so unassuming and has so many accomplishments, and he's got a servant leader's heart. And um, I'm so glad he's on our team here at Catholic U and um, is helping us become a better place because he's got it right, man. Um, that was fun to talk to him. So I hope you enjoyed it. I did. I got a lot from it. And I look forward to talking to again soon. I have to go across campus and find them and and catch up with them once we're back in school. But um, man, that was great. So again, thanks for listening. If you get a chance, please uh, click subscribe or follow wherever you uh, get your finer podcasts and click subscribe or follow for the Trust Your Coach Gut podcast. And um, and then, you know, if you'd like to reach out to me again, like I said, enjoy hearing from everyone who's who's got a, a, something to say to me. So it's TrustYourCoachGut at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at CoachMikeGut. So thanks again for listening, and uh, we're getting ready to get into football season, so things are going to get hot and heavy here pretty soon. I'm, I'm pretty fired up after the last uh, last long bit here of not being able to uh, be with the team in the way that we're used to so things are looking pretty good to get back out of get back out on the field. Um, so again you know keep listening and remember trust your coach gut.